Good morning, everybody. It is Friday, June 18th, 2021. I'm Charlie Fink, Forbes Tech columnist. I'm here with my friend Ted Shilowitz, futurist for Viacom, and it's This Week in XR. We're going to hash over the week's news, and then I'm going to do an interview with my friend Lauren Hammonds, who's the head of immersive programming for Tribeca Film Festival, which is wrapping up this weekend. Uh, lots of terrific VR and AR experiences talk, to talk about with Lauren. Um, but meanwhile, Ted, lots of news to talk about uh, in the world of XR this week. Yeah, it was a, we had uh, our virtual E3 this week, which is something I usually go to in person, um, which conflicted with uh, Tribeca in the virtual world this week. So that was interesting. And there were some somewhat significant announcements that came out of E3, right? Yeah, although VR and AR, I might note, are, are still a very, very tiny piece of the overall E3 picture, which is really about mm -hmm. console games and mobile games, which uh, I suspect all of our listeners know is a much, much bigger business than movies and uh, music combined today. So yes. E3 really has become a, a major, major um, uh, event. Uh, however, uh, very little in the way of VR, but interesting, interesting. Oculus um, uh, bought Downpour Interactive, uh, the maker of Population One, the sort of Fortnite of VR, if you will. And this is their fifth acquisition of a um, content studio uh, that has had success on their Quest platform. So it sort of seems like they're buying up uh, everybody who's having any success on the Quest. Right. I've, I've been doing a good amount of kind of thought readership on this. Plus, there was a little a little dribble that um, that uh, Oculus will now be uh, doing ads inside VR in some fashion, which I thought was kind of interesting. That sort of yeah, that, out. Uh, yeah, very popular idea on social media. Not. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's a couple <laughs> of perspectives on this, right? One is that if, if we all want this medium of virtual reality to succeed in whatever form and trajectory it takes, it will take, um, you know, significant amounts of capital and significant amounts of resources and significant amounts of sort of guts from companies of all spectrum, including the largest, most in, in the game, which today is Facebook, right? And uh, so them, them grabbing up these companies that they see that are actually starting to move the needle when it comes to the gaming slash social interaction play, which seems to be the ones that they're picking up, they're, they're essentially trying to build up their arsenal, right? They're, they're, because they know this is going to be a very competitive, very popular space as Sony continues to play in that world and, and will show things in generations to come. And you know, with other companies starting to put things out into the world, they figure that as a leader, they have to continue to lead. And part of leading is acquiring companies that you think might uh, get acquired by somebody else or might actually be a threat to your existence. So you know, that's an interesting strategy that they're going about. So who's next? Who are they going to acquire next? Wow, that's a really good question. Who will they acquire <laughs> next? Um, um, Rattler, I don't know, I'll have to put a think on that. <laughs> and here's the other thing about advertising. Um, you know, I, I understand that people have to find business models, obviously, or they can't. Of course we can't have the content that we want, right? It's, it's not gonna be a free ride on content forever. But the idea that I'm gonna get advertising on something that I've already paid for uh, is a little bit concerning. Um, that said, there's advertising and there's advertising. Is it a billboard on a street that I'm driving down or is it gonna interrupt the experience? Right. And I well, think that when you think about a it, big right? open question. When you think about it, there's the devices and then there's the software layer in those devices. So 
when we, when we buy a TV, we have the choice of what we want to watch on that TV and we can choose to pay for non-ad supported content or we can choose to watch ad supported content or some sort of hybrid in that. And if you look at a VR device is essentially an evolved television, right? That does more than what a television does. It's a platform that companies can put on different offerings. And my instinct is at some point in time when the economic maturity exists to, to opt into a paid download subscription service for all your VR offerings for the year, like PlayStation has PlayStation Now and all these things, um, or you choose to actually have an ad layer and ad threshold in some of your content, you know, that kind of lives in your start world or inside some of the gaming experiences, and you can just choose economically which kind of customer you are, um, that, that is no different than television, right? Or any well, well actually, you're, you're talking about a business model that's common in mobile games, right? Sure. You can pay for, for a mobile app and have it be ad-free, or you can uh, use it for free, but in between each level or each episode, so to speak, you have to eat a bunch of advertising. And that freemium advertising has actually become one of the biggest uh, advertising categories in the world. I mean, mobile is driving a tremendous amount of advertising. It turns out that a lot of people, um, particularly people in Asia, um, but really all over the world, um, have decided that they're going to eat the ads and play the games for free. And it is what it is. It's just part of the yeah. experience for them. So because, oh, uh, I, yeah, that's I, right. I don't think that's going to slow down just because they have a headset on. No, ultimately, you know, people don't know what they're going to like and they don't want to opt in and pay for something and then try and unwind that clock if they don't play it that much. So they're willing to put up with the ads. And then the, the, I think the hope for a lot of the developers is that they move from the ad model if they really like the experience into paying whatever that monthly charge is or the one-time fee, you know, a couple of dollars and then they get the non-ad version. But that doesn't really seem to be the way humanity works. Once someone says, okay, I get it, it's an ad supported thing, I'll just put up with it. The bulk of consumers put up with the ads, right? And, and so, so they build their economy around that and that's how it works. And I think VR is gonna be no different than that. So also announced at E3 or at the same time as E3, I don't, you know, there wasn't a physical E3. Uh, but Niantic, our friends who made Pokemon Go and who provide the Lightship platform that powers Warner Brothers' uh, Harry Potter AR, uh, mobile AR experience, have announced that uh, by the end of the year, they're going to start testing a Transformers AR game uh, made right. with um, Hasbro and Tomy. Yes. So an interesting evolution on this augmented layer game into the world. And it'll be interesting if maybe that's one of the first forays, you know, Niantic, Niantic has very secretly shown little tiny snippets of their, their wearable um, smart device that will allow this kind of you know, mobile AR gaming experience to happen. So I just have a curiosity if that's one they're gonna put some energy into because the IP is very strong. And what also, from my perspective, did they learn from Wizards Unite uh, when they attempted that and uh, versus Pokemon Go, right? One hyper successful, one not so much. What did they learn from trying to make a game more sophisticated and a higher ramp up time? And will they go back to their knitting and do something that actually really, really appeals to, a, to a, a, their, their customer base, their, their entertainment base? Kind of exciting uh, property though, I agree, because uh, you know, is that a real car or is it a transformer? You have to hold up and big things in, in <laughs> big things in the world and mixed reality are pretty cool, right? Like when you see something that yeah. is actually five stories high and you can look up into yes. the world and there it is. It's a really interesting size is always really interesting in VR and, and MR, right? So size and yeah. scale uh, 
It's good. Transfer is really absolutely. So uh, the uh, the uh, from from the pivoting from the sublime to the all too real, uh, our friend Paul Merlucky, uh, founder and former president of Oculus, uh, started a new company several years ago, uh, which makes uh, drone systems for the defense industry. Uh, the company just raised four hundred and fifty million dollars Series D. Uh, valuing them at $4 billion. And uh, Palmer put a post on Facebook that said his goal is to turn, that is a direct quote, to turn American and allied warfighters into invincible technomancers who wield the power of autonomous systems to safely accomplish their mission. Mm. And that and is all a, I can... a bucket of money. Yeah, and, and all I can do for our listeners is to recommend that they start picking up uh, novels from an author named Daniel Suarez uh, and see what happens when some of this stuff goes awry, <laughs> when, when technology yeah. uh, decides, you know, this sort of Terminator-esque future that we're sort of marching into. Uh, you know, I mean, Palmer's an interesting one. There, there's a bit of this Elon Musk effect kind of gone really kind of harebrained scheme with him. Um, <laughs> and you got to give him credit for being out there oh, yeah. doing what he wants to do and pursuing his belief structure and, you know, and actually pulling it off. Uh, so good on him. But uh, I think, you know, there's always a little bit of worry in the background. I would say there's, for, your, for us, for our listeners, just read a couple of good Daniel Suarez novels. And, <laughs> well, I'll and make it even there. simpler. I'll make it even simpler. There's a dystopian short on YouTube that has about uh, 46 million views called Slaughterbots. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that they are micro drones that have inside of them a little tiny micro explosive. And when they get close to you and blow up, you die. And they are driven by facial recognition. So they could decide, for example, everybody on Facebook who's ever said anything bad about Kim Kardashian is dead. And they unleash the slaughterbots and using facial recognition. And of course, all the information you've given the slaughterbot about yourself on Facebook makes you extraordinarily easy to find. And uh, thereby they can knock off all of the Kardashian dissenters. Uh, and it is a terrific and terrifying, um, uh, terrifying vision of what this technology could do gone wrong. Yeah, the, the purge uh, becomes wrong, real as it were, right? Yeah. Not to overly politicize the show, but I don't know if you saw in Texas, it's now legal to open carry a pistol um, without a permit, without training. Um, you can just pick up any old handgun and carry it around like it's tombstone. I was yeah. joking about this with my brother-in-law yesterday and he said, yeah, but in tombstone, you still had to check your gun at the edge of town. <laughs> exactly right. That's right. There were there were there were laws and protocols and a social fabric that actually allowed people to survive in those days. Seems like that's uh, gone the way of the old western, right? So that's, yeah, I, I will yeah. mention by the way, Charlie, on that on that topic of the 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 the, the slaughterbots and the nanobots. Um, are you familiar with a concept called the gray goo theory? This will get really dark really fast if you don't know. It's really interesting. The gray goo theory. So here's here's a little two minutes on the gray goo theory. You can certainly read up more on this. Um, as we know, you know, we're starting to make these robotic creatures very, very small, right? And, and, you know, essentially like starting to build things at a cellular level. This is a real, this is real science now, mechanics at a, at a cellular level. So at some point, um, there's an understanding that devices can be self-replicating, that they can, 
build another one like it, just like reproduction in the natural world um, with the tools that they have inside their little cellular makeup in terms of what they can build. So there's a concept and you would all, you would know this from the idea of the, the last day when a lake or a body of water dies when it gets lily pads is day one, there's one. And if one, if you get double each time on the 29th day, half of the lake is covered. On the 30th day, they all duplicate. The entire lake is covered, the lake dies. There's a theory that is more than just a theory these days called the gray goo theory, that when these nanobots understand and start to understand how to self-replicate themselves, they will start to learn how to build themselves exponentially. So they'll go from one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, et cetera, et cetera, until the day that these robotic teeny tiny creatures that we really can't even see with the naked eye literally cover half of the planet's surface. And then the next day they all replicate and the entire planet is covered with this thing called the gray goo and that's it and uh, the end of humanity. So it's an interesting science fiction starting to become to well, reality. If that concept. happens, Ted, and we will deserve it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's the, good thing. that's the point of it all, right? Uh, but it is a cautionary, it is the ultimate cautionary tale of how we work and build technology. So just something for our <laughs> listeners to think about. So Ted, I know you have a real job and a real meeting to go to today. Um, do, I'm going to let you go that. early and I'm going to hop on with our guest, Lauren Hammonds, the programmer of Tribeca Immersive. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to um, chat about some of the great content he has curated for us um, this year. So great to see you this Friday. And uh, yep. we'll, you and I will be back with everybody next week. Have a good meeting and uh, welcome Lauren. My guest this morning is Lauren Hammonds. Lauren is the head of programming for the Tribeca Film Festival's immersive um, section, which is divided into the immersive arcade available in the Museum of Other Realities, the Storyscapes Competition, which is at their 50 Varick Street location in Tribeca, and all over the world if you have a smartphone, since they have added a number of location-based uh, mobile AR experiences. Lauren, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Charlie. And uh, congratulations on another uh, successful uh, version of the um, Immersive Festival. Uh, not so easy to program in a pandemic year. How did you see all these works? Yeah, I mean, that's an, that's an understatement. It, it definitely wasn't an easy one, but <clears throat> we were, you know, we, we were surprised at the, um, the amount of submissions that we actually did receive. Uh, this year. It was really inspiring actually to see that creators were able to get the work done and a lot of them just worked tirelessly up until the the premiere honestly to get everything uh, ready. It's, well, does, uh, doesn't that happen every year because you have so many world premieres? It probably happens with the films too, right? No, it's very true. A lot of people are, are working until the last possible minute. I mean, in this case, because we do have the online platform with the Museum of Other Realities, there's a there's a, a an even earlier uh, you know QC process where we have to make sure that all those builds yeah. are working and that um, people are going to have a great experience with with uh, with all of the different stories that we're sharing. As inconvenient as it was for you, I think in a way, as has happened with so many online, uh, events that took place in the real world, which were like Tribeca, you know, location-based and highly exclusive, if not very expensive, uh, the pandemic has forced them online. Of course, now no one has to wait in line to see the great experiences at Tribeca, and no one has to pay, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars for a timed 
admission to the uh, physical location, but rather can enjoy them at home. So I think, you know, even though, of course, no one wanted to have a pandemic, I think it's, um, you know, forced uh, all of the events to become more accessible. Do you think that's something that will continue in the future? I do. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's very exciting to me to be able to expand our audience in this way. Um, we always, you know, we always have a good deal of international guests, even when we're in person. But I think with this, I mean, particularly with the, the restrictions on travel, we're able to still welcome those guests virtually, and then also really start to expand into people who may not be as familiar with the idea of VR storytelling specifically. Um, by, by hosting the museum on platforms like Viport and Steam, um, I, I'm really hopeful that we're able to capture some of the people who are more game oriented and just really curious about what storytellers are doing with the medium. Um, tell us a little bit about the Storyscapes competition. Let's start there. That's in the physical world at Varick, at Varick Street. And uh, you actually announced a winner yesterday. We did. Kasunda won the Storyscapes uh, prize this year. Um, really amazing experience um, by Gayatri Parmasawalan and um, Felix Getke. Uh, it's a brilliant piece about a, a dying language, um, a dying Nepalese language. And they use so many beautiful techniques, uh, both visually and in their audio storytelling, because it is about language. And there's, uh, there's an interactive component where you actually have to speak that language to move mm -hmm. the story along. Um, really, really clever way to kind of incorporate it. But we have five Storyscapes experiences hosted at Spring Studios. And what's different this year, um, you know, due to our COVID protocols, we kind of created a new ticketing model that we call a cohort ticketing model where four people go in at once and they're able to see, actually see all five of the experiences and that's guaranteed, which is something that we haven't been able to do before. Right. So I think it's, 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 uh, it's definitely causing audiences to leave happy and satisfied mm -hmm. that they've got a chance to see everything that's on offer. Well, I was fortunate enough to be in New York and to see the Storyscapes competition in person. And what was striking about it, and I, this is consistent with the rest of the festival, uh, was the fact that this year there weren't straight up entertainment experiences like Jack and the Beanstalk, mm -hmm. uh, but rather these all had um, specific themes and um, that were related to the environment um, that were related to um, race, uh, that uh, you know gave us the opportunity to walk in other people's shoes. Uh, there was uh, Goliath, which uh, allowed us to experience um, what I guess a gamer named Goliath had experienced as a schizophrenic. Uh, we had a, a HoloLens experience, uh, which uh, allowed us to swim with orcas, uh, yes. if you will. <laughs> And, and then there was a very poetic experience uh, that I wanted to ask you about that was based on a Carl Sandburg poem, where you yes. seem to wander through this room scale environment through these abstract, almost abstract vignettes that were very painterly, that, um, but inscrutable at the same time, I guess, you know, if you view them as a poem, it makes more sense, since if you were trying to literally figure out what was going on in uh, every vignette, you would be quite uh, frustrated. Um, but yet it had this kind of crazy feel like you were leaning into different dioramas. 
Yeah, um, that's We Are At Home. You know, that piece, it's, it's really interesting because there was a, a single player version of that called um, The Hangman at Home that actually won Venice last season. And Uri Krenot, um is a, a, an amazing illustrator and has, uh, has worked in VR in the past. Um, there's something that was so timely about that piece to me. You know, it's not a straightforward narrative and it is very poetic. It's gorgeous, you know, in terms of visuals, but the idea of being able to kind of peer into these strangers' lives is something that we've we've all had over this past year and a half, right? We we've we've been seeing into people's worlds and they're in these little Zoom boxes mm. on meetings and all of these things that that you really That's true, before. like we're doing right now. <laughs> exactly, right? You get a glimpse of where everyone is. And I, I felt really moved by the idea of of uh that atmosphere being created um in We Are at Home, where you can literally peer through that window and see the see those people. There's almost a voyeuristic feel of it. That's uh, that's that's really I think entertaining. And then it, it's really nice to have a collaborative moment in that piece as well, and have because uh, it is a four um, a four user four viewer experience um, where you actually do get to to kind of collaborate and interact with your your fellow participants at certain points. So speaking of the Museum of Other Realities, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, first of all, you have to have a PC VR, you can't get there um, using your uh, Oculus Quest unless yeah. it's plugged into a PC and you can't get there with PlayStation VR. Um, so unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, it's not as accessible uh, as um, one would want ideally, although I'm sure that's gonna change many of the experiences uh, including the the uh, award-winning um, documentary from Scatter. Uh, yes, the changing scene. Uh, the changing scene, which which won, I guess, the narrative competition. Uh, I yes. guess there's the Storyscapes competition and the narrative competition. Right. Um, we have so we actually had changing... three. Yeah, we we actually had three this year for the very first time. So we had Storyscapes, we had Best Immersive Narrative, and Best Creative Nonfiction. Oh, and who won Best Creative Nonfiction? Uh, that was one by Annie Saunders. Uh, she created a piece called Current that's an immersive sound walk that's in New York City. It's, mm. um, it's a really, really beautiful piece. And she uses technology and geolocation where you, you actually have to be in Zuccotti Park to start the walk. And, uh, you know, it asks you for your location. And if you're not in there, you can't actually access the, mm. the experience. But it takes you, um, yeah, around lower Manhattan and kind of looks to the 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 past of the the city and kind of gets into some personal places as well it's a it's a really beautiful experience i thought the mobile ar the addition of mobile ar experiences really for me broaden the festival uh in in extraordinary ways i look forward to you growing that in the future um, because of course mobile ar meets people where they are we don't have ar glasses um and uh and even if we did Again, going back to the theme of democratization, uh, everybody's got a smartphone and not everybody yeah. will have smart glasses when we have them. So, so AR and smartphones seems to kind of meet people where they are. I saw a couple of extraordinary, extraordinary pieces um, using uh, mobile. One I've talked about extensively in Forbes, which is Brianna's Garden, yes. um, which, which is a, uh, a an elegiac, poetic, beautiful tribute um, to um, to Brianna.
Breonna Taylor, who was uh, mistakenly killed by the Louisville Police Department uh, in a drug bus gone bad. Uh, and it has become a symbol of, of racist policing. And of course, racism is also, um, you know, a theme that we saw many, many times along with climate change and the environment. Um, but Brianna's Garden by the artist Sutu and Lady Phoenix um, is something anybody can download and, and use to uh, connect with her as a person. Uh, and not as a symbol of racism, which I thought was a uh, terrific twist that really brought that theme home because we weren't talking about the police, we were talking about Brianna. Yes, I mean, that, that's exactly uh, the beauty that, that I saw in the piece and I think what, what Lady Phoenix intended. She really, you know, she worked very closely with Janiya Palmer, who's Brianna Taylor's little sister, to create that piece and to create a space for Janiya to um, yes. memorialize her sister. And, and we, her we were, memories of her sister were heartbreaking. Yeah, truly. I mean, we were honored enough to have Janiya um, and Tamika Palmer, Brianna's mom, um, as well as Kenny, her boyfriend, who was also there when she uh, so, so unjustly lost her life. Um, we were lucky enough to have them at the festival and speaking to the experience you know they they really acted as the guardians of that experience which is so important and, and I, I loved hearing what they had to say about just reclaiming brianna's image and re reclaiming brianna's story and allowing her to be seen as a person and really encouraging everyone to see everyone else as a person and, and embrace the humanity and not the divisions that are there amongst us all so i i think that's a that was an amazing piece that was right on the money with kind of the the vibe and the the mission that we're we're trying to to put forth at this year's festival. So the changing sandwich one narrative uh, yes. also addresses those themes as well. Yes, uh, the changing same um, by Yasmin Aliat and uh, and Joe Butler and Michelle Stevenson. Um, it really, I mean, it's it's a it's a very deep piece because it it kind of approaches the history of racism in the U.S. in, in a kind of magical realist way. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think that piece is so beautiful from the volumetric work from Scatter and the, the, the soundtrack from Serpent with Feet. It's a very, very meditative and beautiful piece. It's something that they've been working on for so long. Um, and they, have a, they do have a six stop version of it, but the 360 that we're featuring at the festival is also accessible. I should note this, it's accessible via Oculus Quest 2. If you go to Oculus TV, you'll be able to go to a shelf and, and take a look at that one. So for more people- um, is, that event, in, is, that, is that available right now on Oculus it's, Quest TV or is it coming available, soon? It's available right now uh, on Oculus Quest uh, TV, Oculus TV. Oh, I did not know that. I have to correct my story to make sure I can send people there. Yeah, please do, please do, because that piece, um, I mean, obviously it just it just won the award as well, but I think that piece is one of the the best, uh, you know, pieces of 360 that's out there at the moment. And it also is so urgent. Um, the message is, you know, is amazing. Of course, Scatter and uh, Yasmin in particular uh, have been in the festival before with uh, Blackout. Yeah. Um, which was uh, five years ago. And, and one of the best things I've ever seen at Tribeca, um, for those of you who aren't aware of it, it's probably just about everybody listening. Uh, <laughs> it takes place in an actual subway car. And um, it is um, like uh, the free roam uh, experiences you find at places like the 
RIP the void or dreamscape or zero latency. Um, the physical world of the, the subway car is mapped into the VR. So when you reach for a pole or a seat, there's a seat there. And when you lean out the door of the yes, quote unquote yes. set, you see the platform stretching in either direction. It's just so yeah. convincing. But then um, they use the depth kit system to uh, capture people and place them in the subway cars, volumetrically capture people and place them in the subway car. And when you leaned into the person, you could hear their thoughts, which yeah. was kind of like making you a weird ghost. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm digressing into something that wasn't in the festival this year, but they used the depth kit system to capture the performers in um, the changing scene. Uh, which That's I, right. you know, it's a, it's a terrific tool. Um, Scatter created it. They used it, used it masterfully. She created also something that is in the Oculus store right now for free uh, called Zero Days VR, which is based on the documentary of the same name. Uh, and they use that technique to kind of personify the Stuxnet uh, worm that, yes. uh, you know, was among the, the first huge computer viruses that uh, was a, a worldwide menace for so long, and I guess still is to some extent, but the technique is very, very effective. It, it really makes you feel like you're in this world, but not. Mm -hmm. And um, it, yeah. it also does, does that thing that VR does so well, which is what people like Noni De La Pena call the empathy machine, where you really are walking in the shoes of the character. Yeah, I know. Ag agreed. Um, Depth Kit is, is such a, an amazing tool. I mean, especially for the, just, just to make it a, a, a democratic tool of biometric capture, you know, it's, right. it's not the uh, meta stage is brilliant, you know, don't get me wrong, but not, not everyone has access to. Uh, yeah, to well, a, anybody a who has an, anybody who has an SLR can have a volumetric capture studio that's right. wherever they are. So that's right. Uh, I I think as as um, immersive media becomes uh, more and more of uh, expected, more and more commonplace, uh, I think there's a real uh, need for it, and Depth Kit will will start to to grow and become more widely known. Aside from the changing same in the Museum of Other Realities, sort of running through Sunday, um, what what other pieces have people been responding to in there that that you think they should pay uh, if they've got a limited amount of time to do Tribeca? What what are the Museum of of other realities do you do you think they should uh be looking at or should i pick my favorites and not put you on the spot <laughs> uh well why don't why don't you i'll respond to some of your favorites how about that because they're all, all right, my well, favorites you know you can't, you can't i know pick one. there are some <laughs> there are some really uh wonderful ones uh and some very poetic ones again you know i think the themes of uh, racism environmentalism climate change mm -hmm. of course um, you know, there was a lot of stuff about mental health. There was a piece I really yes. like called The Passengers. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't say it was about mental health per se, but like uh, we were talking about with, um, you know, Blackout, it puts you in the head of people that, yeah, you know, is a, is a technique, is a technique kind of from novels. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's, that's the thing about, about VR, you know, as a medium, like the, that idea of embodiment, um, can be used so effectively to tell stories, and with the passengers, you know that that's a that's a piece that continues to grow. Um, you know, ultimately there are four passengers that you can embody, but but uh, in the version that we're showing, you can see two of them, right? And you can get two different perspectives, the lady and the kid, and you learn just a little bit more about the story of these four strangers that are sitting on a train car traveling somewhere. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's it's really. Uh, 
it's really quite effective. And each of those, each of the experiences, you know, of those embodiment experiences has a little bit of different also adds to the storytelling. So it's um that that is an exciting piece. I mean, there are also pieces that are totally flights of fancy, like Madrid Noir, you know, um for from Atlas Five, like that the idea of having this animated uh mystery um that's interactive is really also i think super exciting for what the future of of vr storytelling can be in terms of just giving the audience agency to kind of just be transported and and go on this this journey um that's one that's that's definitely great i would also i'll i'll highlight um marco and polo go go around that one um I think is something that I haven't seen very often, which feels more like a mature love story in VR. Uh, so, so to me, that's interesting as a curator who really looks towards story first and foremost. I want to see things that I haven't seen kind of tackled in this uh, in this realm yet. Um, but you, you know, it's, though it is a, a, it seems like a straightforward uh, romance, not really a rom com, but kind of a little bit of a romantic drama. They're able to use the medium of VR to literally, as this this couple's relationship begins to kind of fly away and turn upside down, mm. the laws of physics also change and everything in the room that you're in starts to fly towards the ceiling, including the characters. It's it's a you know, these are things when I when I watch when I watch submissions and I think, why is this being done in VR? Mm -hmm. um, I need I need to understand that pretty pretty clearly and that's one that i think illustrates pretty well yeah that's that is super, super important i want to call out a couple of narrative pieces um one of the jailbirds which yes. i didn't have a chance to write about but i thought was um quite fantastic beautifully um beautifully executed uh, prison story uh where uh it uh, it depicts two guys in a strange mountain prison with a sadistic warden, and um, and, and uses art to kind of set them free in a way. Um, was was very thoughtfully done. There's another piece I I didn't see called Madrid Noir. Oh, yeah. um, I didn't see it while I was in MOR because I thought I could get it to run on my Quest, and then I ran into some tech problems. I guess the good news is eventually it is going to be available uh, on Quest. Um, yeah. But uh, tell us tell us a little about that one. That was one of the the few pieces that was actually a straight up entertainment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's the one that's like, you know, it's an it's an animated mystery. Um, they use a lot of uh, stage techniques of of lighting and kind of popping stuff around you. That's just super fun. You know, that that um that animation is great. They they even continue to build it um, over the last few months to add more moments of interactivity where, you know, you're talking to the character and she says, hand me the phone. And yeah, you have to hand her the phone or that story's <laughs> not going to go forward. Or, you know, look, look through that drawer for something, you know, and it's these, these elements that usually would be thought of as gamification, but instead with the way that they're able to weave them into the story, they feel natural and they feel, um, they give you that feeling of actually participating instead of being a passive viewer, which I think is so important for the best VR. Um, yeah, I mean, another note that I'll make about Madrid Noir um, is if you, so there are tickets still available for the Museum of Other Realities. Um, if you buy the ticket for Museum of Other Realities through Tribeca, you actually also get an Oculus uh, bundle code uh, where you can see Ooh, Madrid Noir on nice. your quest. Um, you can also see in, Inside Goliath on your quest. Um, there, there are 
just four titles actually there's another one called rebels on the quest i'm going to make sure to get you one of those codes as soon as we're done talking today charlie oh you're the so man you can, thank uh, you so you can check that out thank you one of the um, more you know it's it's one of the things that tribeca does so well is that you really push the definition of what is immersive right so so we still that is that is a very broad word that we still um haven't really settled on a complete meaning of and i and, and nothing personifies that more for me than the film or or i should say the mobile experience republic yeah uh, not to be confused with the vr experience right um but republic uh is a um i i guess it's a it 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 takes you into a terrorist attack is taking place in the paris metro and you have three different people who are streaming it from three different places and you know part of streaming certainly on a platform like twitch is the participation of the audience through text yeah yeah so that kind of becomes a character in it as well and and you watching it can sort of shift back and forth between the three different points of view which eventually converge at the end of the experience um it has very high production values i mean it's really movie-like uh production values um so i would highly recommend that uh to our listeners and i think any can anyone download that yes anyone can download that if you go to tribeca.com festival slash immersive, you can find that link, or you can just Google Republic Tribeca film and it'll come up. Um, you're able to do that and get it on your phone and see it. I also really, really recommend everyone to check in, uh, uh, to check that one out. It's um, it's unlike anything we've shown uh, at the festival yeah. before. And I, I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're so used to uh, getting entertainment on our mobile, but the the idea of kind of mimicking the social media feeds is a really really strong mm -hmm. one and being able to give but, the, that agency again yeah yeah but that's the way we experience many stories today yeah and this is you know especially um you know that's a that's a pretty it's a pretty harrowing experience um but but extremely entertaining um like you said you know uh, based on a terrorist attack that's happening in paris was based on the vatican attacks but um i do think you know especially when we have these terrible or wonderful things that are happening that we all experience in real time through social media and through our mobiles um to, to kind of lean into that with strong storytelling strong screenwriting and incredibly strong acting um is really uh so something that I had not seen before, and I'm excited for everyone to uh, to learn about that piece. Well, it was great this year, Lauren, and I, I thought, you know, even more than other years, it was super focused in a way. I don't know if it's just artists uh, are all sort of swimming in the same soup, uh, and it was very, very focused on um, issues that are, are overwhelming our society, and I, I just found it all very uh, thought-provoking uh, and very special. Um, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for uh, having me. I still think me. you have the you have the best job in X Star, um, <laughs> and 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 you know your job is really, you know, to help these artists and uh, come together and to help us find them and to, you know, help their works be found. And you know what this year really was was a mirror, you know, a mirror for the plague year, uh, a mirror that really shows where we are. As people and um, and the work is is just superb and sublime and not something you're going to find casually, but something that had to be carefully curated and, and nurtured. So thank you for that and congratulations again, Lauren.
Well, thank you. Charlie, I'm so glad you were able to come and see it in person. And I thank you for having me on. And I, I want to thank all the artists as well, just all of the creators mm. that were, were able to be a part of this year's uh, exhibition. Uh, I'm, I'm forever in their debt because yes. there, there were many questions of what this uh, not quite post-pandemic edition of Tribeca <laughs> would look like. And uh, I, I couldn't be more happy with uh, with the outcome. Well, it was great to see you in the real. Uh, it's great that we're all getting back into the real. I really, <laughs> I yes. really miss the real world. Me too. So, uh, Me too. It's good to be back. It was great to give you a hug, and uh, that's what we've got this week for our show, folks. So um, have a great weekend, and we'll be back again uh, next Friday. Thanks, Charlie.